Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. So you hear me say ever so often, perhaps at a baby dedication, I dedicate you and then thank you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or maybe you hear it uh, when we baptize somebody. I just looked over there and I think that's a TARDIS over there on the baptism. <laughs> but maybe, well, I got an amen out of that too. But perhaps in the course of a, of a baptism, you hear this language again in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or perhaps you were at the wedding yesterday, or I've done a couple of weddings already this summer, and there is a point in the ceremony that I will say something like this, by the power granted to me by the church of God, but eventually I'm going to say, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, in a good wedding ceremony, it probably comes up several times. You probably should hear me say more often, Dr. Tashin's really good about doing it every week in Word and Table. At some point, the blessing of the Eucharist comes with this language, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, you will hear that language and that phraseology sprinkled throughout the most important moments of the life of the church, the life of the kingdom. And here's why. It's because we believe that the nature of our understanding of God or the nature of God is supposed to tell us something about the nature of the faith that we live out. So in the name of this God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do and we are and we become. I, I say this actually anytime I get a chance to travel and see and speak to, to young people, whether it's teenagers or more, more recently college students, I'll say something like this to them. You show me your image of God, and I will show you the shape of your faith. Well, turns out that even within Christianity, there can be, as you can tell, vastly different understandings of God. And so it should be no surprise to us that you can also, at that point, have vastly different shapes of faith. Now, this is way oversimplified, but let me ask you this. If, if you understand God to be first law and power and then love, how does that shape your faith? See, I, I think you will see a difference in the shape of faith if you start with law and then get to love as opposed to starting with love and then you get the law. Have you ever heard somebody say, whether to you or to someone else or about someone else, right? I don't like you, but I have to love you. Christians have found a way to canonize that statement, that, that somehow there is the, the legal obligation to love. For that person, right, let's don't be too hard on that person. They probably have heard it somewhere else and they're just repeating it. But for that person, they have started with law, and then they get to love. Trinitarian people don't start with law and get to love. Trinitarian people start with love 
Trinitarian people start with love. And when we say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're saying a whole lot of things, but we are saying really loudly that we will be the people who embody this God and we understand this God in this way, lots of other ways, but in this way, first and foremost, that this God in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a God of love. And so the shape of our faith, now this this can be rough, ready for this? The shape of our faith, if in any moment it is not loving, if your faith is not loving, then your shape and your understanding of God is skewed and it doesn't yet fit nicely into a Trinitarian mindset and we are a Trinitarian tradition. And so we are never not the people of love because our God as Trinity is never not a loving God. We're doing okay there? And so we have this day. We have this day that we celebrate and we kind of work through every year called Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday. And I get to actually debut this new sermon series, This Is My Story. And I will tell you this as I give you bits and pieces of my story throughout this short sermon, you'll, you'll understand this, that this aspect, this understanding of God is where my life completely changed and my understanding of my call and what my ministry was supposed to look like, it all changed when I finally understood that I was following a Trinitarian God. More specifically, when a, when a Trinitarian God came and got me. Now, Trinity is a tough thing, and we should not try to uh, diagram the Trinity, all right? How not to commit heresy preaching on the Trinity? Just say nothing and show pictures of kittens instead. <laughs> You see, because most of the time, our efforts uh, in trying to diagram, now you've seen these diagrams, right? The diagrams of the Trinity, to try to give scientifically thinking people some way to scientifically access the God that is not quantifiable. And so I think we actually do God a disservice, and perhaps we even do faith a disservice, when we try to figure out how to make an egg God, or how to make water God, or how to take a perfect, it's a perfect triangle, y'all, God, this sermon will absolutely give up starting right now trying to explain the structure of a Trinitarian God. But I'm going to start right now trying to give you some idea of the nature of a Trinitarian God. So if you came to church on Trinity Sunday anxious to have me map God out for you, Anxious to have me define God for you, to diagram God for you, you're going to leave disappointed because the best you're going to get today is a testimony to what I've experienced and what I think Isaiah experiences as the nature of God. There's a lot about faith, and perhaps perhaps we should say this today about God. There's a lot about faith and a lot about God that cannot be accessed by science. Now, there's a lot that can because I do not believe science and faith to be adversaries. In fact, in fact, we Wesleyans believe that science can reveal God. But there are some things you only know about God as you access your artistic imagination. Now, some of you are lost now. Great, because all I do is work with numbers, and so I have zero artistic imagination. That's not true. Come on now. 
even accountants. I'm just looking at my friend Mike Bell back there. Even accountants can love God. Amen? They can. (laughs) Even accountants are loved by God. Now, here is... (laughs) Now, here is an image that is not trying to define God, but is trying to describe God. Now, this is a perichoretic model. Perichoresis, which actually means circle dance. So understand this as this is a very ancient artifact that's trying to wrap itself around this concept and how we might experience this Trinitarian God. And what you have here are Father, Son, and Spirit holding on to one another by the wrist, let's say, and they are right now, though you can't tell it, they are dancing. And they are dancing so quickly around in this circle that you cannot discern the three. You just see the one circle. But in that it's a dance. And in that it's a collaborative dance. There are a lot of words that we could use then to describe the God as imaged by this particular image. There is an openness to this God. There is a willingness to this God. There is a hospitality to this God. One makes room and welcomes the other always, always, always. And there is a mutuality to this God. The only issue I would take with this image, which I think is probably because I'm comfortable with the art and don't need to have the science of the diagram of the Trinity. The only issue I would take with this is that I think somehow I would like for this image to demonstrate the openness and a hand extended to us. Because that's what God is like. And in fact, this is how we will see God posturing God's self with Isaiah. Okay, let's move quickly through this. Isaiah 6.1, in the year that King Uzziah died, Uzziah, Uzziah, whatever you like, okay? In the year that King Uzziah died, now I bet, I think that's King Uzziah right there. Pretty sure that's a Polaroid of King Uzziah right there. Now, let me tell you what is being said here. You don't see it because maybe you don't know the backstory, but here, here's what's being said. When everything fell apart and everything went to pot and everything was complete chaos. That's what's being said here. Because King Uzziah had been a great king, a great king who at the ripe old age of 16 ascended to the throne and took the place of his father, Amaziah, who had been a great king, a godly king. And so they took, they took this young man, Uzziah, they put him on the throne and said, we are going to trust you. And Uzziah said, okay, you're trusting me, but I'm going to trust God. And so according to scripture, for 52 years, for 52 years, he trusted God and God prospered the king and God prospered the kingdom. That seems to be the case all the time throughout the Old Testament. Anytime God prospered the king, the kingdom prospered. And so Israel, Judah actually, Judah experienced great times of prosperity in every sense of the word. They got bigger, they got better. They got more wealthy, and all the while they were saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for being open to us, for allowing us in to participate in you. And sure enough, as we participate in God, we get better. We get stronger. Things went well, according to Scripture. Over the course of this 52 years, he built all kinds of things to fortify the city, to protect the city, dug out cisterns so there was plenty of water, there was plenty of food. 
Notoriety spread far and wide. Don't mess with the kingdom of Judah because Uzziah's got them exactly where God wants them. Now watch this. And his fame spread far for he was marvelously helped until he became strong. But when he had become strong, he grew proud to his destruction. Uzziah was a great king so long as he recognized that God was a great God and the reason that he was a great king. Now here's the curse of competency. Ready? But when Uzziah got so successful that he didn't necessarily need God, he started to deteriorate and the kingdom started to deteriorate. And quite literally... (laughs) At the close, toward the end of his reign, Uzziah, who had gotten to the point where he no longer needed God, so faith for him, faith for him, was not central to his being. It was something that you do because you always have. It was not the way that you moved through the the realm of politics and governance. Now faith, rather than accessing God for his every decision, rather than defining success the way that God would define success, rather than doing any of those things, now Uzziah was religious because he always had been and religious when it suited him because ultimately he didn't need God anymore. In fact, he got so big and full of himself that he didn't need the priest to go into the temple anymore. And so as the story goes, he walks in to do his own sacrificing, walks past the priest and they're all going, hey, whoa, whoa, you can't go in there. You don't have the license to go in there. You can't go in there. And he said, like, I'm Uzziah. Did you forget? I'm the guy who did all of this. I've done all of this for 52 years. I'm the reason that you have all of this. God knows my name. I'll be just fine. The priest said, what is that on your forehead? Because immediately he broke out in leprosy and died, separated from his people, And died an outcast because, as the testimony of Scripture would go, because, turns out, he did need God. He had turned his back on God. And after leading his kingdom to this great place, when he became strong, he became proud, and then he led his kingdom toward destruction. Isaiah was a part of that destruction. And Isaiah understood it like this. Our entire kingdom, all of the people are now stained by Uzziah's sin. We are all now stained because you cannot separate a king from that king's kingdom. And so now we are all guilty because he was guilty. And so a stained and unclean Isaiah, in the year that Uzziah died, goes back to the temple. So in the year that chaos reigned, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty in the hem of his robe, filled the temple. Seraphs or angels were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces, and with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they flew 
And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Why in the world is this particular passage mentioned on Trinity Sunday? Well, there are a couple of smaller clues here, and then one big one, I think. Holy, holy, holy. That's actually one of them. Three holies, three persons of the Trinity. And then there are three sets of wings here. And so the church has always seen this as a description, an artful description of the Trinity, but not a scientific explanation of the Trinity, but a testimony nonetheless. What you and I need to see here is that Isaiah, unclean, is in the, is in the very presence of God, who is the ultimate expression of not just clean, but holy. And so Isaiah is in harm's way. We say this a lot around here. What you do is you look at yourself, what's next? And you look at God, and then what do you do? Confess the difference. Well, Isaiah is doing that too. Here's a problem. He was honest about the difference and the distance. And so he says right out loud, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, stained as he was, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And it was this belief, there was this belief, backed up by a lot of experience, that uncleanness in the presence of God's holiness, the unclean, was in danger. Beyond that, Isaiah knew that the distance between whoever he was and whoever God is was too great. Hey, everybody, the distance, we'll keep saying it. We're going to keep saying it. You look at yourself, and you look at this Jesus, and you confess the difference, but you can't span that difference by yourself. But God can. And beyond that, God in his trinity-ness, God in God's holiness, not only can God span that difference between whoever you are and whoever God is, God wants to. And here's the thing, God wants to, and God knows you. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar where the sacrifices were made with a pair of tongs. And the seraph touched my mouth with it and said, okay, you didn't ask for this yet, but like a gift we are giving you pardon. Now this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed, and your sin I'm going to hang on to that just so I have a record of what you, now your sin is blotted out. You see, you look at yourself, and you look at God, and especially if you're honest, you can despair about the difference between who God is and who you are. But in that moment of despair, perhaps you will see that God is willing to span that distance to get to you. Because, wait a minute, Isaiah's guilty, you know that, right? If God was law before he was love, then Isaiah should get what's coming to him, but God is love before God is law, and so God sees fit to redeem Isaiah, even though he knows 
Isaiah. Yeah, there should be more amens than that. If you have ever in your life had a sober assessment of yourself, then there has to have been a moment in your life when you have said, I can't get there. Every week I hear about Christ's likeness and being moved toward Christ's likeness, but then I have this awful tendency to look in the mirror. That's what we want. You want us to despair? No, I want you to be aware of your need for the grace that you can't buy or earn. So Isaiah, we're about to get to my part and we're going to close. So Isaiah, his sins blotted out. Isaiah, now aware that the gap between himself and God has been closed by God, now is in the presence of God and not dead (laughs) because God loves him. And he hears God say, man, my people need some help out there. Now notice this. God does not say, hey, Isaiah, I want you to do something for me. And this is my story. You have other biblical stories in which God says, Samuel, Samuel. And especially when God repeats your name twice, you you better listen. Samuel, Samuel, Moses, Moses, that is not here. God seems to be saying to anyone, is anybody out there? Can anybody help? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Another nod to the Trinity there. And Isaiah, who now recognizes that there is no distance between himself and God because God spanned that distance, And now Isaiah, who understands that his cleanness is a gift from God, his pardon is a gift from God, that he did not earn it, Isaiah now responding to the love of God, again, that he has not earned, he has not purchased, that he does not deserve, Isaiah knowing now that God is for him, Isaiah now knowing that God has accepted him, though he knows him deeply and perfectly, Isaiah says, in response to the gift he's been given, I'll go. That's my story. I started here in 1990. I was called to ministry in 1992. (laughs) When it became clear to me that God knew all that there was to know about me, that I was undone, unmasked, And he still wanted me. That God in his Trinitarianness had made room for me. That God in his Trinitarianness desired me, though he knew the truth about me. When I recognized that I had as a gift that which I had worked so hard to get before but had failed to acquire, when I recognized I had that as a gift, I responded with, here am I, send me.
because the life you live in response to grace has always been better than the life that you would live trying to acquire it. Always. Always. On Trinity Sunday, I have miserably failed trying to give you some idea of the diagram, the structure of God, but I hope you have heard in my voice testimony to the nature of this inclusive, welcoming, hospitable, all-knowing, all-consuming God. When we say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do kind of mean that circle dance thing, but I can tell you because I have known it myself, that dance is always seeking another dancer, always seeking another partner. Show me the shape of your God, I'll show you the shape of your faith. So this is why some of you have wondered (laughs) over the past several weeks and months, what is he thinking? (laughs) Here's what I'm thinking. That is the shape of the God. So shouldn't it be the shape of my faith? Hospitality, welcome, openness, mutuality. A sermon series title is taken from a hymn, Blessed Assurance. I have that blessed assurance. And here's why. Because I have not earned it. I have it because it was given to me and I have responded to it with a lifelong yes. And I rehearse it every week here when I'm invited when God hosts us every week at this table. If you're helping us today, would you please come and take your place here. I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over these elements, and then you will have opportunity throughout this congregation, throughout the sanctuary, you'll have opportunity to stand, exit your pew to the left, then come forward. You'll approach somebody holding a plate of bread, or you'll approach someone holding a cup. And Heavenly Father, please bless these elements and use them, God, to shape us toward Christ-likeness. God, bless these elements in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May we be keenly aware of your hospitality today, your welcome, your openness to us, May we participate now in a tangible way in this grace so that this image that you have given us can permeate our lives so deeply that it becomes the shape of our faith. So in a moment, you will exit your pew to the left. You'll come forward with your hands cupped again to receive that which you cannot earn, that which you cannot pay for or swipe. You will receive this grace. When you do, someone will say to you, the body of Christ broken for you. And then take this piece of bread and dip it into the cup. Someone right there will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will say to you, the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat 
And then find some place to pray. Many of you will want to circle right back around to your pew, but please continue to pray. If you would like to find a place to pray up here, these altars will be open for any kinds of prayers and someone will pray along with you. If you go to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you need a prayer for healing, physical, mental, emotional, relational healing. And someone will come and pray a powerful prayer for healing for you. This is one, but one of the ways that we participate in a Trinitarian God. We participate in the life of a Trinitarian God, a God who makes room for us, makes space for us, a God who chooses and accepts us, though I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God chooses and accepts you, and God knows all that there is to know about you and still chooses you and accepts you in the hopes that your life lived in response to grace will be of a greater quality than the life that you have lived trying to earn it. If you need for us to come to you, Jason's really good at that, and he will come and find you. You are not compelled to participate, but all who are aware of their need, all, no matter where you are on the journey, all, aware of their need for this grace are always going to be welcome at this table. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took this bread, lifted it up before them, blessed it, broke it, gave it to each of them saying, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat of this bread, remember me. And later on he took the cup and he held it up before them and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant shed for you. Every time you drink of it, remember me. Across the sanctuary now, I want to invite you to stand, exit your pews to the left, and come and receive that which only comes as a gift. Not a mind would 
to the platform and pray anytime you'd like. Father, we confess that at times, like Uzziah, like Isaiah, we can be guilty of the sin, the sin of strength, the sin that becomes pride, and we can get to the place where we no longer really need you. Forgive us for being so strong.
Father, would you welcome us? Would you give us even a glimpse of the testimony of Isaiah? That you would know all that there is to know about us and yet would not just choose us, but separate us from our sins. God, would you have us? someone in need of a prayer for healing, this is a great time to pray that prayer. When living in response to a God who has so graciously received us, now pray for others that they would be healed. pray one more time that God would be especially close and that many of ours would find or be found or be found again by this gracious God. God, now teach us the deepest meaning of this prayer. Let's pray it together, praying debts and debtors. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 